This week on Mouse Flicks, not everything is made in China. The man is messing with Mickey's money, and I wax poetic on the Disney Channel's descendants. Spoilers ahead, so silence your cell phones and settle in. You're listening to episode two of the Mouse Flicks podcast. Mouse Flicks is a fan-produced podcast dedicated to Disney film and entertainment. Lend us your ears for news, reviews, and commentary on the film House of Mouse. Mouse Flicks is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney Pictures, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, or their partners and subsidiaries. All opinions expressed via Mouseflix Media are solely those of the podcasters and do not represent the views of any other individual or entity. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mouseflix. I'm Kristen DiBiase. I hope everyone had a lovely week, or at least a week that sucked only marginally. If that's the case, then hopefully it's about to get better. Let's talk Mickey in the movies. Oh, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. It's time for news nibbles. Maybe a little more than nibbles today. News or d'oeuvres, maybe? Sidebar, I'm polling people. Yes or no is meat a snack. Asking seriously, some friends and I have been having a debate on this, and I would like to hear what other people think. I'll put this question on the Facebook page. I'll also put links to these stories in the show notes which you can find on our website at www.mouseflix.com. The latest trailer for the Marvel flick Deadpool, which is coming out next year, was released on Tuesday, and fans are going ballistic, myself included. Is it 2016 yet? Because this movie is going to be baller. Just to mess with everyone's head, the day before that, Deadpool himself releases what everyone thinks is going to be the trailer. But it turns out it's just a trailer for the trailer. But hey, what can you do? That's just Deadpool being Deadpool. That little scamp. Warning for parents and people who are watching this at work and they're not supposed to be. Deadpool is rated R and the full trailer link we have is for a red band. Not safe for work. China is getting lazy. It seems the composers for their big opener in Beijing's 2022 Winter Olympics decided not only to phone it in but also to plagiarize what's probably the most popular and easily recognized song right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Exhibit A. As of this recording, it remains to be seen as to whether Disney's going to take action on this. How do you say let it go in Mandarin? China, get your life. Disney Channel alum Raven Simone is coming back this fall for a guest appearance on the show KC Undercover. The episode is going to air on September 7th. 
Over the past few months, she's come under fire for a ton of foot and mouth comments. One of the most recent ones being a defense of Bill Cosby after he admitted to dosing women with quaaludes. It feels weird to me that they're still going to let her be on the show after these comments, especially since Disney just removed his statue from Hollywood Studios. I guess they weighed the risk and decided her controversial persona is not going to trickle down to the Disney Channel demo, but they should still keep an eye on her because nowadays making stupid comments is just so raven. And Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy have called it quits. The pair, who've had a tumultuous relationship for 40 years, have released a joint statement on Facebook and said they're living separate lives and will start seeing other people slash pigs slash frogs. The exes also assured us that the split will have no impact on their professionalism. That's the best outcome we could get under these circumstances because they're stuck working together when their show, The Muppets, premieres this September. Awkward! And that, friends, is that. Every once in a while, I like to talk numbers, stats and data and charts, etc. And this is the perfect time to do it, because Disney's third quarter financial report has just come out. On Tuesday, Disney let its shareholders in on the latest on their money, and a day later, they started paying the price. Disney's third quarter earnings are $2.5 billion this quarter, which is higher than last year's third quarter earnings of $2.3 billion. They're also doing better than the stock market analysts anticipated they would for this quarter, but investors are still spooked. Disney's stock price made a cliff drop of more than $11 a share the day after the release. Within the space of one day, the stock, which had gotten an all-time high of over $120 a share before the report, fell as low as 109 That is 9%, and it's considerable. The reason? ESPN. ESPN is still the dominant network in sports, but the way we watch TV is changing and is starting to have a visible impact. The number of people who are starting to trim back the channels in their cable packages or even cut the cord completely is growing, and Disney's feeling it in the pocket a teeny bit, but not very much. When you have 90 million subscribers, 3 million of them is a small loss, but it's still a loss, and it shows up in the numbers. Coincidentally, they've ended some expensive contracts with ESPN talent. Keith Olbermann and Bill Simmons are out. Although the idea of selling ESPN subscriptions as a standalone product like HBO or Showtime may have crossed their minds, Bob Iger says it's a no-go for now. He still thinks that cable is where most people are going to get their content, and I agree. Most sports fans I know still have cable, and they cannot go a day without hearing that sports center jingle. Despite the negative news, it's still impressive to look at Disney and the Dow Jones. There are links in the show notes so you can follow along with this. There's one just for Disney, and then there's one for the Dow. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is an index of 30 big companies that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. It's a lot of calculations that are way too complicated for me to understand, let alone try to explain. So I'll cut it to the chase. These 30 stocks are so important that the way they trade influences how the entire rest of the stock market moves. Up until this point, Disney had been the Dow's highest performing stock this entire fiscal year. And let's not forget, Disney is still up 20% for 2015, which is no small thing. Regardless, I think the future still looks bright. And the main reason for that is the strength of its movie studio revenues, which had an increase of 13% this quarter. 
During the last period, Avengers Age of Ultron pulled in over $1.4 billion worldwide. Then you look at the sheer number of films that are coming down the pike, which include more Marvel films. And let's not forget the end of this year. Star Wars will come out in theaters during Disney's fourth quarter earning period. There is no doubt it's going to blow us all away. Keep your chin up, Disney, because Mama's got some Mickey money brewing in the old retirement fund. And someday, I do want to retire and swim around in a vault full of money like Scrooge McDuck. Tom Cruise is negotiating with Disney to play the lead in an upcoming movie called Bob the Musical. A guy gets knocked in the head, and after he comes to, he's in a personal hell where his life is turned into a musical, and he can hear every other person's life through song. I guess it's sort of like that movie What Women Want kind of crossed with the beginning of the movie Enchanted, where Amy Adams is wondering why everyone is singing and dancing. So Tom Cruise obviously is most easily associated with his action films like Edge of Tomorrow and the Mission Impossible franchise, but he has been really funny in some non-action roles. He played the crazy eccentric Stacy Jacks character in the movie version of Rock of Ages, and he was hilarious and almost unrecognizable as Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. Regardless of whatever you have to say about Scientology, when it comes to acting, Tom Cruise is baller. I want to see this movie. And now, our feature presentation. The audience is now deaf. Last week, Disney's latest TV event, Descendants, premiered on the Disney Channel to 6.6 million viewers. I finally got a chance to sit down and watch it, and spoiler, it's pretty much a more royal version of High School Musical, with some magic tossed into the mix. And there's already a sequel coming. Not that that wasn't obvious. I mean, they basically spell it out at the end. The gist. Belle and Beast united the whole kingdom and put all the villains on a separate, magically walled-off ghetto island that completely sucks. Now their son Ben is 16 and about to get coronated as the new king, because putting a high schooler in charge of an entire kingdom is totally a great idea. His first big decision is to give the kids of the villains a chance and let them come back to civilization and join everybody at the high school where all the good kids go. The villain kids are the children of Maleficent, the Evil Queen, Cruella de Vil, and Jafar. I'm assuming they wanted to make things more modern and less medieval, but I was really sad that Belle and the Beast looked nothing like the animated version. I mean, they didn't even try. Belle just wore yellow whenever you see her on screen. That's how we could remember she was Belle, in case we forgot. And the Beast was just your garden-variety, dad-age guy. And then, oh god, the props and the costumes, good lord, they were horrendous. Everyone's outfits looked cheaply made. I mean, I've seen better at every single junior high theater production I've ever been to. The family's royal jewels all looked shoddy and cheap. Ben's royal ring came fresh out of a claw machine. It was plastic. Like, it was plastic. And I'm not just saying that. I think it was legitimately actually made from plastic and then just spray-painted gold. The Beast looked like he was wearing a Burger King crown. The lack of character development continued on to the villains, who were one-note and goofy caricatures of themselves. The Evil Queen really didn't have a personality in Snow White anyway, so she's actually not that much different than usual except the stereotypical comments about how now she's older and doesn't look as good. Things have gotten bad for Jafar. 
He looks like he's now the owner of some Arabian pawn shop. Jafar, oh, how you have fallen. His son Jay is played by the guy who was the junior high-age werewolf in the Twilight series. Jay's gig is that he steals things. And Cruella has descended into complete madness, where she literally cannot say a single sentence that doesn't at some point mention dogs. And she also now wears a cotton-fluff puppy squeaky toy instead of a fur coat. Also, she's raised her son, Carlos, to be afraid of dogs. This becomes important later. Except, no, not really. Basically, Carlos is afraid of dogs, and then he meets one for the first time. And even though he's grown up with a cult-level brainwashing about dogs being the worst possible things ever, within less than one minute, they become forever buddies. Legitimately, less than 60 seconds. I timed it. That's about it for his entire story arc. The main character in this is Mal, Maleficent's daughter. Her mother has already given her orders, which are to steal a fairy godmother's magic wand and use it to break the spell that keeps the villains on the island. Mal gets a magic spell book that will work on the other side as well. So, away the junior baddies go to the other side of the tracks where they're greeted by the good kids and get signed up to take remedial classes in basic decency and whatnot. I suppose that this development shorthand makes sense because you do have to establish the characters quickly, so there's room for more time for sugary pop choreography. I will be honest and say up front, I couldn't take more than a few moments of the singing and the dancing, so I'd listen to about 10 seconds, and then I'd fast forward through the whole rest of it whenever possible. Teen TV movie musicals are exactly what TiVo was made for, because the songs never advance the plot, they always just reiterate what we already know, so you totally don't miss anything. Of all the songs they did, I was the most horrified by the popified version of Be Our Guest. I did watch Maleficent's big number, however, because duh, Kristen Chenoweth, that is what real musical theater sounds like, people. Once the battlings get over there to the good side, it's apparent that now there's going to be a thing with Ben and Mal. One item I did appreciate, however, is how Disney didn't use a certain plot point that tends to be overused in this type of movie. The thing where the rival girl does something shady that causes a misunderstanding between the protagonist girl and her crush. Surprisingly enough, Mal and Audrey, the daughter of Sleeping Beauty and the girlfriend of Ben, don't really get into it. Of course, that could be because at one point Mal gives Ben cookies laced with a love potion in order to get him to do her bidding. Guess there's really no need to go the whole catfight route when you pretty much already locked it down. Jay discovers he's a natural athlete and joins the lacrosse team. He's squared away for the rest of the movie. Carlos continues hanging out with his dog some more. Evie, the daughter of the evil queen, has been raised only to be pretty, learn domestic chores, and find a prince. She uses her mini-magic mirror to do homework for Prince Charming's douchebag son, Chad. Much to the chagrin of what's-his-face, whose name I can't remember right now, but he's the son of Dopey, but not himself a dwarf. Of course, he's totally into her. Mal tries to pretend like she cares about fitting in by using the spellbook to give other girls at the school hair makeovers, all the while preying on fairy godmother's mousy daughter's lack of confidence and beauty insecurities in order to get closer to this magic wand, which they have learned will be used to coronate Ben. Evie gets semi-caught cheating, but then she gets out of trouble by proving she's actually smart and she finishes the test by herself. She also starts to notice Dopey Jr. I actually like her character. I think she was my favorite one. She actually sort of became a better person and had a pinch of character development. Also, I really liked her hair. As time passes, Mal and the gang start enjoying themselves until Parents' Day rolls around. 
Audrey's grandma, Sleeping Beauty's mother, isn't quite all there and thinks that Mal is Maleficent. She starts a huge scene, and then everyone shuns all the villain kids, even Dopey Jr., except for Ben, of course, since he's under the love spell and whatnot. Except he isn't. There was a ridiculous near drowning on Ben and Mal's first date, where the potion is washed away. But Ben doesn't tell Mal this because he actually does have feelings for her, which he finally reveals on the carriage ride to the coronation. Then he gives Mal that god-awful ring. At the coronation, when it's time to steal the wand, Mal hesitates, but then the fairy godmother's daughter jumps out and just steals the wand so she can make herself look bibbity-bobbity better. And I gotta admit, I did not see that coming. I was pleasantly surprised. This accidentally lets Maleficent out of Batty Island, and finally we see why the producers have been so chintzy on the quality of everything else. They've been saving up their money to have Maleficent turn into a CGI dragon. Not too shabby, either. Mal does this magical stare-down thing with a dragon mom, and then Maleficent loses and gets shrunk down into a purple gecko. Also, now all the bad kids want to be good. Yay! Happily Ever After, big coronation ball where they're singing and dancing and it goes extra long and provides umpteen very obvious moments where Mal and Ben don't kiss. Because teens don't kiss on the Disney Channel, I guess. I noticed this because, sharing time, I have a shameless love of holiday romance movies, which pretty much all follow one of about eight possible plot formats. I am all up in ABC Family in December. But anyway... There's always a kiss at the end of these movies. Always. And the kiss wasn't here, so I noticed. And now there's a sequel coming. Because Mal essentially says as much. I'll probably watch it for, you know, research purposes. But I'm still fast-forwarding through all of that singing and dancing. Overall, kids and tweens will love it. Get ready to hear it over and over again as well. Because Disney Channel has an app where you can watch their programming online. Sorry, Mom. Here's a little something fun. Somebody out there on the internet made a supercut video for the song Uptown Funk using dialogue from 280 different movies. And some of our Disney friends make an appearance. So go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash for the link. First person who can comment on that post with a list of all the Disney characters that are in the video will get a mention on our next podcast. And that's a wrap. Mouse Flicks is a production of Mouse Flicks Media and is produced by me, Kristen DiBiase. The Mouse Flicks podcast theme features music by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. To all of you out there in the world or the land, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Tell your friends, yell it from the rooftops, and most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Comments, questions, or suggestions? Email us at mouseflicks at gmail.com. Find us on the web at www.mouseflix.com, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash and tweet us at mouseflixcast on Twitter. We'll talk to you soon, and remember, popcorn's always better with a little pixie dust. So we're at It's a Small World, and right outside there, there's this kid with baggy pants on, and he's got his ears cocked over to one side, trying to look all hard. And I'm like, 
okay, boo-boo, you cannot be gangsta in fantasy land.